great to see uh, you guys this morning. Um, for those who are checking it in online, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, good to know that God is everywhere. So, you know, wherever you may find yourself this morning, uh, just tuning in, we believe that God can do something in your life right where you are, just the same as I believe that God can do something in your lives here this morning. So, you know, even if you're driving, uh, you know, God's presence is right there with you and I encourage you to embrace that. Um, he goes the speed limit. So if you're speeding, he's probably somewhere behind you. But uh, God's presence in our lives um, is powerful. And, you know, maybe you can just join me. Just say, you know, God, my heart's ready. Would you say it? God, my heart's ready. You tell him. I can't do it for you. God, my mind's open to you. Would you speak to me today? Yeah, make me better today, God. For your name. Amen. You know, I'd say, oh, it's like, was that a prayer? My eyes were open. I wasn't a, hadn't a yes. <laughs> Yes, I, you know, sometimes you just got to press through some of those things to, to just embrace. Like, we know that the presence of God it can change our lives in incredibly uh, in powerful ways, stuff that we may not even know or expect, it, but that He can do. And uh, so this morning, I um, want to start a new series. Um, we may do it over the summer, but it's not a sequential series. It's not like you show up next week, we'll be doing part two. But it's a series we feel like we need to talk about with our church over the next little while. And we'll be talking about the heart about uh, the, the things that happen here, because uh, you can have all kinds of stuff that you do or, or you, you're a part of, but if the heart's not in it, then it really doesn't matter. And so we want to we talk about the fact that God's given you a heart, given you passion for things, given the opportunity or the uh, ability to have, have passion about things, but it matters that we engage with that. Uh, have you ever done something half-heartedly? You know, maybe, or you've had something done for you, and it was half-heartedly, and maybe if you're a parent and a kid, you can relate. You, like, send your kids, hey, can you go clean your room? They're like, oh, and then they go, and they're like, okay, I'm done. You come back, and it's like, sure, there's stuff under the bed. Yeah, I guess the floor is clean, but it was kind of a half-hearted job. Maybe, you know, a sports teams, it's like, you know, the, the FIFA World Cup is on, but the Netherlands, I don't know, this year, just half-hearted play, just never got them to the place where Iceland beat them in because of that. I mean, that's, yes, I see all the Iceland fans in the foyer, you know, half-hearted, you know, and then I saw this picture, and I was like, just got to show it, you know, half-done job is like, those things, you like, this, this sheep cares, you know, uh, for, for things that we go through in life, even it's things that are said, you know, you can have things that are, that are said and that are just, you know, they're, they're half-hearted, uh, you know, words, simple words like, I, I love you, can be, should be something incredibly powerful, but can become something that's half-hearted, or they give you a compliment, but they don't, they don't really mean it, and if you're a half-hearted person, uh, that's not like a compliment. That's not like something you want on your job resume or reference, right? They call you up, hey, how's so-and-so? Oh, yeah, they're a really great person. They put their whole heart into every- Well, never mind. They actually just put half their heart into whatever they do. So if you're willing to pay them full wages for half-hearted work, this is the person for you, right? That's never the case. And so we wanted to talk about that, engaging our heart in, in different things. And we just wanted to start this morning with where that heart comes from and um, you know, for generations, people have asked this question, what's God like? What's God really like? And maybe you've had, you know, those questions yourself, or maybe for you, there's people around you that just, you know, that they ask, or maybe sometimes you just wonder, you're going through stuff, God, like, you know, I know what people have said, I may have read the Bible, but God, what are you really, what are you really like? And uh, that's a question that's been, been asked for, for eons and for ages, and, and uh, Jesus came to show us a little bit about 
what God is like. And so John, John was an eyewitness follower of Jesus. You can read about, you know, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. It's that John. And John was, uh, John wrote, you know, the stuff that, that uh, he saw Jesus do and the stuff that he heard Jesus say. And there's one story that he writes about. And it's, it's very, it's close to the end of Jesus' life. It's actually the night before. Jesus is with his fellows in the garden. They called it Gethsemane. We kind of picture a garden. We think like this vegetable garden, but it probably was more like this big walled area, uh, an orchard, probably possibly full of olive trees or or whatever, but it was it was this big area, and 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 the 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 followers of Jesus that wrote the accounts they write it down. They say that Jesus went to this garden that night with his twelve disciples, and there they are. And and then Matthew writes something interesting. Matthew says, you know, we were all there, and then Jesus went further into the garden, so further away from the rest of us, and he took Peter, James, and John with them. So he was over a little bit farther, and Matthew's like, you know, here I, I didn't get to go with the three, but I, I saw the three, and he says, and I was watching. And he says, you know, I watched them, and Jesus was like, you can see the hand motions. Hey, fellas, like, I want you to pray. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll pray. And Matthew's like, okay, he's just watching them pray. And he says, and then they fall asleep. You know, a bunch of half-hearted prayers. I would have prayed if, I, if Jesus had invited me, you know. Matthew's probably, he didn't write that, but he's, you know, he's probably thinking these thoughts that, that if, as he watches these guys, they fall asleep, and then Jesus comes back and wakes them up, and, and then they, oh, yeah, we'll pray, we'll pray, and then they, and then they fall asleep again, and, and then he wakes them up. Well, we know that Peter, um, James, and John, the three that were here, we know that they were awake at least for some of it because John actually writes down the whole prayer that he remembers Jesus praying. He writes it down, and it's interesting. If you want to read it, it's in John chapter 17. He actually prays for you, you personally. He prays for you in that garden right before he's about to go to the cross. He prays for you. Did you know that? Just read John chapter 17 sometime. Maybe when you get home, read through the whole thing. But John writes about the, the prayer that he remembers Jesus praying, and he ends with this, this line. This was the last line of Jesus' prayer. John 17, 26, he says, Jesus is talking to the Father, he's talking to God. He says, God, I've revealed you to them. I've revealed you. I've, I've shown them who you are. I've given them thorough knowledge of you. I've made you known to them. And he says, I'm going to continue to do so. And then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. And that was the end. Jesus didn't even end his prayers with amen. It was just, that's it. He says, I've, God, I've shown them you. And Luke, Luke was a guy who um, didn't hang out with Jesus. He was a really educated person. He was uh, uh, somebody who could read and write. Not everybody could do that back then. But Luke was so intrigued by the fact that this man, Jesus, died and rose from the dead that he wanted people to know about it. He wanted people to be able to read or to have an accurate account. And so he'd go and ask the eyewitness followers. He'd say, hey, tell me the stories of Jesus. And then he would collaborate that with the rest, and he would write down an accurate account of the life of Jesus. And Luke writes some interesting stuff, and we want to take a look at that today in Luke chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, uh, just go there with us. If it's on your smartphone, take out your phone and go to uh, Luke chapter 11. Uh, you can read along with us. Uh, maybe you have the version Bible, and you can highlight stuff as you go. It says this, Luke chapter 11 says this, Jesus, Once Jesus was in a certain place, and he was praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. You know, they probably saw Jesus praying, and they're like, Jesus, you pray different than we pray. Like, when you pray, it just looks different than, than us. Can you teach us to pray? And then I kind of think they did one of those things that, you know, kids do to parents. You know, have you ever had that as a parent? Your kid comes up to you like, um, Dad, you know, Mom said it was okay, but if you say it's okay, you're like, well, then we can do this. I'm like, well, if Mom said it's okay, then why didn't you just do it? Well, it's because if you say it. And it's almost a thought of, hey, you know, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And if you're thinking you're hesitant, well, John taught his disciples to pray, so like you should do the same thing. And Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray. But 
he does something so, so incredible. How many of you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, we'll just test that. Our Father who art in, hallowed be thy, thy. So, so, so many of you, you know it. Yeah, you can go through the whole thing until you get to debtors, trespassers, and then everybody mumbles it in. <laughs> you know, but, the, but you know it. You know, and it's like, this is the thing. Jesus, teach us to pray. And then, and then it was like, he didn't give them another group of words just to memorize. That's what they were used to. They were used to memorizing words, uh, and, and that would be their prayers. They would, they would say the same prayers every single morning. He wasn't giving them this other list of, like, this is, the, this is just a, another memorized prayer. But he was teaching them some powerful things about their relationship with God. And it says this. As he, uh, he said, Jesus said to them, verse 2, this is how you should pray. And he just leaves them with one word, Father. That's where he starts. You know, you guys were like, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be that. And it becomes this like low monotone mantra because you've memorized it. But you missed something incredibly powerful. He says, I, I want you to start with this. He says, when you're about to talk to Yahweh, She's with the 12 disciples. When you're about to talk to Yahweh, the God of the universe, when you're about to engage him in conversation, he's like, I want you to start with this word, Father. I don't, he says, I don't want you to think that you're praying to some God far, far away. Dear heavenly God out there somewhere in a galaxy far, far away, way, away. If you can hear me, hear me, hear me, please, please, please answer my prayer. And then you just wait. Maybe. He's like, now, I want you to realize that when you, he said, I can't really describe all of God to you, but I can tell you one part of him. He wants to be close to you. He wants you to call him father, that there's this, there's this close connection, this intimate connection with him as a person, not just as this force or this being far, far away. That word father would have meant some things to them. It means all kinds of different stuff in our culture. And this morning as we celebrate Father's Day, you know, that word father may just bring all kinds of different thoughts to your mind. Uh, maybe for you, you had the experience to have a super dad. Uh, super dad is awesome, you know, like he's the one who you just have great, great memories. Anybody had a super dad? You know, they were the ones who like, they can make you laugh all the time. Or when you think of your dad, you think of like strong, fun, your hero, you know, the super tickler or the bear hugger or, you know, your protector. Like you could always go and count on dad. And if you had a super dad, that's, uh, that's a, a, an incredible blessing to have had. Maybe when you start thinking about dad, maybe your mind starts going to the funny stuff, you know, like... Um, you know, like the things dads do, like, you know, like dad feeding uh, versus the way mom feeds, you know. It's like dads just have this unique gift. Or, you know, it's like asking dad to take the kids for a walk looks completely different than mom taking the kids for a walk. Or dad teaching you to bike versus mom teaching you to bike. You know, dad just takes your bike. He's like, look, son, I can do it. Why can't you, right? Like the, the, the way dads react and respond is different. Then there's all the dad jokes. And uh, I don't know if you realize this, but my kids taught me this last night, which is pretty cool. Siri, tell me a dad joke. I taught a wolf to meditate. Now he's a werewolf. I taught a wolf to meditate. Now he's a werewolf. Huh. I don't know. That's a dad joke. Hey, Siri, tell me a good dad joke. I got my best friend a fridge for her birthday. I can't wait to see her face light up when she opens it. Uh, right? You can waste hours and hours and hours with the dad jokes. So now, see, you learned something. Uh, but that'll be it for the dad jokes this morning. You know, there's, there's all these thoughts that, 
And maybe go back to your mind when you, when you think of your dad. And maybe you, can, uh, maybe you feel the same as Mark Twain. He said this, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. You know, we think of our dads differently as we go through life, and you think of different things. I think of the embarrassing stuff. I don't know, something reminded me like a little while ago of just, uh, I think it was my big fat Greek wedding or something, where they, uh, I don't know, maybe you had this. I don't think parents do this anymore, but back in the day, you know, when your kid had something on their face, you know, we just say, hey, hey, there's something on your face. You know, there's ketchup, Finn, go clean your face. My parents was not like that. They were like, hey, there's ketchup on your face. Here, hold on a second. They grabbed their dirty Kleenex out. And they spit on it, and then they wipe your face off. You're like, what? Come on, Dad. Like, you know, everybody's watching. Or, you know, you're at church, and you're like, oh, there's that, that girl that you're trying to impress. And then your dad comes up, and he's like, gives you this big bear hug. He's like, hey, have I told you lately that I love you? Like, Dad, come on. Not, not, in, front, not in front of her. But maybe you have, like, great, great dad memories, great dad moments. There's a guy named Derek Redmond who I think is just one of my, one of my favorite stories. Derek, Derek Redmond was a runner in the 1992 Olympics, and halfway through the 400 meters, he blew out his hamstring, and he landed, just crumpled on the track. Everyone else was finished the race, and there he lay. And as the paramedics and everything were kind of rushing to, to his aid, his dad, watching from the stands, came all the way down and got on the track and, and ran to his son. And as he was there, he's like, son, do you want to finish? Do you want to finish this race? He's like, Dad, I'm, I'm going to lose. He's like, that's not what I asked. Do you want to finish this race? He's like, yeah. And so he lifted him up and in tears of the pain and just the, the agony of spending four years preparing for this moment to just have it stripped away, Derek and his dad walked the rest of that uh, 400 meters together to the cheers of, the, of the, the whole audience who was watching. And just the memories of that, that great dad moment who came down when he was in his low and just rescued him and helped walk life with him. Incredible, incredible, inspiring dad moments. But maybe the word father brings up different things for you. You know, maybe for you it's like, oh, yeah, when I think of that, I just think of like deadbeat dad. You know, he wasn't there for me. He was, you know, and if he was there, he was always on his phone. Or if he was there, he was just like, you know, angry all the time. We just wished he wasn't there. And, you know, it's interesting that, that this, this culture we're raised in with so many going through life without a father figure in, the, in their life, it affects us. It affects them to a great, great degree. I was met with a friend of mine this week, and he's older than I am. And as we were talking about that, him and his dad do not get along. And they'd had an argument recently, and he said to me, he says, you know, my dad tried to tell me, oh, you know, you just, you got to trust God and you just got to whatever. He's like, he's like, I know that I have a heavenly father. What I need is a dad. I know I have a heavenly father. What I needed is a dad. And I thought, man, this guy, I'm like, look at him, I'm like, you're like 44 years old. Like, how are you? And Tim Horton's like, just passionately, why? Because it affects us. It affects us right down to the, to the core. Statistics show us, too, the effect that it's having on our culture. And they say the numbers, even though these stats are a couple years old, that the numbers aren't changing. That with, when it comes to suicide, that 63% of youth suicides are from a home where there was no dad present. You know, runaways, 90% of all the, the homeless and runaway youths were be, are, are from homes where there's no, uh, no father figure. Behavioral disorders is 85% of all the kids with behavioral disorders. Dad's not present. 71% of high school dropouts, no dad at home. Juvenile detention rate, 70%. You know, substance abuse, the ones getting into drugs and alcohol, 75% of them, they say, either have, don't have dad in, at home or they don't have dad in their life. And there's the last one, the aggression. So this is the one on the rise that it's 75% now of, uh, right now of rapists are motivated by this, this displaced anger that they have for a father who wasn't there for them. 
Like, man, you think of these, this, this powerful role that dads and father figures play in, the lives of, in our lives, but in the lives of our young people. And maybe for you, you're one of those people. You say, you know, yeah, dad wasn't there for me. And the more you talk about it, the more uncomfortable this is for me. Would you just stop? See, in this generation, in this culture, maybe you had a great dad. Maybe you didn't, but maybe it's even worse for you. You know, maybe you were incredibly hurt by the one person who you thought was supposed to be your protector. There's a guy named William Young. William Young wrote a book, and you're probably more familiar with the book than his name. It was called The Shack. It came out a little while, a few years ago, and people were like, oh, The Shack, don't read that book. It's, it's totally not lining up with the Bible, etc." right? Well, William later on explained, he said, I didn't write The Shack you know, to change theology. I didn't write the shack so that people would believe that God is a, is a larger black woman. He's like, what I wrote, if you haven't read the book, well, you should, it's pretty cool. But he says, that's not why I wrote the book. He says, why I wrote the book is, he says, I, I, this is how God helped me process going through my pain. He says, when I was a child, my dad was a pastor and they went out on this mission field and as though dad was reaching the world, he wasn't protecting me and the people that we were reaching were actually molesting me every day. William Young also is part of a movie that you can find on Right Now Media called The Heart of Man. And uh, if you haven't watched it, I would encourage you to. Don't watch it with your kids, but it's a powerful, powerful, powerful movie. He said that in The Heart of Man, he made this comment, and it said this, My dad was a preacher. My relationship, for example, with my father was very difficult, very painful. It took me 50 years to wipe the face of my father off the face of God. He's like, I hear God's good and I hear God is this, but he says, I, I can't. He says, it took me 50 years to stop seeing my dad's face when I think about God. And so as Jesus is saying, he says, you know, I, I don't want you to think that you're praying to this heavenly father who's so, so far away. He wants to be close and he reveals that, that God is a father, that God wants to be your father. And then he taught them more. He continued because that word father, he said, just in case you don't understand what I mean by that, let me tell you something else. In Luke chapter 11, verse 11, just a few verses later, he says, you fathers, he says, let me just compare you with God so you have a better understanding of what God's like. He says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course you don't. So if you, if you're, if, if you're a sinful person and you know how to give good gifts, even though you don't get it all right, you know how to get it right sometimes. He says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, he'll give himself to those who ask him. He wants to come close to those who are asking him. But he says this as well. Matthew writes it down. That in another time when Jesus was teaching a very similar thing, he said, you know, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts, good things to those who ask him? You know, the good things in your life, God's the one behind those things. He wants to give good things. He's good. Jesus revealed that God's your father, but he also revealed that he's good, that he's a good, good father. You know, that's a song we sing. You're a good, good father. It comes from these thoughts because Jesus said he's not just good. He's like perfect good. He's like completely good. And if you know somebody who is perfectly good, who's completely good, there's something you can know about that person. You can trust them. You can trust them. You can trust them with everything. And I know that, that I, I go in those conversations with people and they talk about God. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, uh, yeah, I, I trust God that like he saved me. But when he talks about money, uh, you know, no, I got this God. I can handle that myself. You know, or when he, when he talks about, you know, yeah, I can trust him, but when I entrust him with my relationships, no, I don't know, God, I got, I got that one myself. I, I don't know if I can trust him with everything. I don't know if I can trust him with my future. I don't know if I can trust him with everything, but he's good. You can trust him. You know, uh, how many of you know that good doesn't always feel good? 
what's good doesn't always feel good. And sometimes you like, you, you, we get in that spot where we think things don't feel good, so they must not be good. And then we wonder if God can be good if we don't feel good. Well, it's Father's Day. Uh, yesterday, my kids gave me my Father's Day stuff early, and they gave me these cards. And I just loved it, because here's they said, Dad, you're the best dad ever. You're the greatest dad ever. Then the one's like the popsicle dad. You're the coolest. Then the next one is, you're so, uh, you know, so smartly dressed, Dad. And that's because my wife dresses me. Then it's like, thanks for being such a fun guy, Dad, with the little mushroom. And then the last one, Dad, you're one in a melon, right, with the watermelon. I'm just like, how, you know, how cool is that? I'm just like, just soaking it up. You know, you're the best dad ever. You're the coolest. You're, you're the greatest dad. Do you know that they don't always tell me that? Do you know that they don't always feel that way? You ask my kids after I've taken them to the dentist what they think about dad. They're like, you know, my dad must, you know, must hate me if he makes me go see this person. He forces me to go in there while they cause pain in my mouth. You know, kids, it's, it's like when I asked my, my son to take out the garbage. He's like, you know, he's like, uh, they've, they've learned some things about um, um, inter- international justice and about child slavery and labor. And so they're like, Dad, you just, you just like want us to be your child slave laborers. It's just because you don't want to do it yourself, right? That's why you make me take out the garbage. And I'm like, oh, son, you know, you'll, you'll thank me someday when you actually can get a job and you'll know how to use money. Then you'll come back. And I'm just waiting for that day. But you know what? You know, you make them eat their vegetables, the spinach and the broccoli, and like, oh, Dad, you like enjoy cruel and unusual punishment for forcing us to eat all this stuff. Is it good? Is it, is it good for them? Yes. Does it feel good in the moment? No. You know, when it comes down to discipline, discipline is never one of those fun things. It's not. You know, I was thinking back to like the discipline in my life, you know, for as a, as a kid growing up. Maybe you could relate. You know, when you said bad words, you know, they'd wash your mouth out with soap. They don't do that anymore. I don't think you're allowed. But, you know, and then there was this, um, there was this, uh, this time back in, the, back in the day when, uh, you know, my brother and I would fight with each other. And so dad would handcuff us to one another. And, you know, it's like, you guys will learn to love each other. And we're like, dad, you just put us closer to each other. He can't get away anymore. And you just keep pounding on him, right? Uh, you know, and then there was a time where, like, I got a spanking for, uh, for driving the van. And I was 15, you know, and... Uh, that was one of those, uh, that happened twice, you know? I'm like, come here, son. <laughs> that doesn't happen that often anymore. But, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the discipline that's happened in my life. And now, like with our kids, we're like, you know, the, what, what can we do to, you know, we ask the kids as they're kind of growing up, they're like, oh, you know, I love this new game on the, on the iPhone. You're like, oh, you love that game? Yeah, it's my favorite. Good, because I'm going to take that away when I need to discipline you sometimes, <laughs> right? Like, they're finding ways to creative discipline, but you take away their screens, like, oh, it's the end of the world, dad. You, we hate you, right? What are these thoughts? You know, that we don't always realize that what is good for us, it doesn't always feel good. And, and it's this discipline thing that, that uh, the author of Hebrews wrote to the followers of, G- of Jesus and said, hey, sometimes it doesn't feel good what you're going through. He says, but this, and he says, have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? It's Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. And he said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. He says he's disciplining those he guides, or it's that word punishes, he's directing, he's guiding each one that he accepts as his child. If you've got God correcting you, that's a good sign. That's a good thing. You can count on the fact that he loves and cares enough about you that he's not just going to allow you to run off to wherever you want to be. He's, he's, he's directing you to what's good 
Verse 10, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us. How many of you know your parents' discipline didn't always work? You know, it's like, I had some of that, you know, like, yeah, it, it was like creative, but it didn't actually work. You know, God's discipline is always good. Why? Because he's always good, and it's always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. It's verse 11, no discipline's enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, but afterwards, there's a peaceful harvest of, of right living for those who are trained in his way. Oftentimes, it's his word that corrects as Paul wrote to Timothy and said, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what's true. It makes us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what's right. You know, sometimes as you're reading his words, like, oh, I gotta, oh, I don't wanna forgive, but I, but I gotta. You know, oh, I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna make it right with them. But God, I see that you're saying I, I've got to. Jesus revealed that God is the Father. And he's a good father that to Jesus followers here this morning, he's your father. And maybe like you don't have dad on, on the planet or, or today's a difficult day for you. He wants to be your father that not just that he's your God, that he's your father, that he's good. He's your perfect father and you can trust him completely. You know, Jesus, Jesus uh, revealed that. And last week we talked about how Jesus commanded his followers. He was saying, hey, I want you to love people the way I love people. He was saying at the end of that, he actually says, I want you to be perfect like your father in heaven is perfect. <laughs> Good luck, right? Like, how am I going to do that? He says, I just what it means, I want you to mature. I want you to grow. I want you to be like. I want you to act like. I want you to live like your heavenly father uh, and live like that on this planet. And a few years, or a few chapters later, sorry, Jesus reveals the heart of the father. We can't live like the father if we don't have the same heart of the father. And that's something that I believe we need as a, as a church, just to fully understand the heart that God has for us, but not just for us. And here's, here's, the, here's the thought this morning. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. <laughs> He's saying these are the people who came to hang out with Jesus, the riffraff, the people that everyone else looked, not just, like, not just sinners, notorious sinners, the people who are nothing like Jesus, they love to be around Jesus and they came to listen to him teach. And verse two, it says, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, made the religious people, the ones who were clean and living their lives, you know, squeaky clean and right. It says, this, this made them complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. The them. You know, who are the them um, in your life? You know, these guys looked at the, the them as people who were dirty, they were unclean, they were low class, they were outsiders, they were sinners. You know, I think every one of us is tempted to have a them in our life. You know, the, the liberals or the conservatives. You know, or it's like you have the, oh, those people in their pride parades. You know, or those people who judge everybody. Who, who's the thems in your life? You know, who, every person, there's, there's these things where they, they, that we look at others and there's that opportunity or the possibility that we look down on them or we, we treat them as something different. You know, Jesus was, began to tell them a few stories as he hears them complaining, Jesus, why are you hanging out with them? Like, you shouldn't, if you knew who, if you, if you were who you say you are, you know, God's man, you shouldn't be hanging out with them. Jesus begins to tell them a story. He says, you know what, let me, let me, let me ask you a question. You know, if there was a, if there was a shepherd who had 100 sheep and one of them ran away, what do you think he'd do? And they'd start there, this whole group of Jewish people sitting in that place. They're like, ah, I think, I, I don't know, what, what, what would he do? And he says, you, you know, he would go. 
he'd leave the 99 behind and he'd go and he'd find that one sheep and he'd bring it back. And, and then, you know what he'd do? He'd, he'd call everybody and say, hey, rejoice with me. I found my sheep. You're like, why, why would he call everybody to tell him? Well, he probably called them before. You know, hey, hey, Joe, my, uh, I lost a sheep. Is it in your flock? No? Okay, hold on. All right. Hey, Frank, you know, I lost a sheep. Oh, Joe called you. Okay, no. All right. And he's like, nobody else has seen. I'm going to go find it. He says, when he finds it, he's going to take it home. He's going to bring it back, and he's going to let everyone else know to celebrate. He says, you know what? In heaven, they're celebrating when one of them comes back to the Father. And then he says, you know, it's, it's even deeper than that. Like, it, he says, if, there was, if, if one of you women listening had lost a, a silver coin, he says, wouldn't she go and sweep the whole house, find the lights and make sure that she, she would look for that silver coin? For some, they say historically, it's, it's not necessarily um, written right in the scripture, but they said historically there was a couple reasons why she may have done that. One, they had like a lot of the, the virgin women would wear a headdress with 10 coins in it. And, you know, if they had been caught uh, doing something inappropriate, you know, they would, the priest would remove one of their coins. And so, you know, if you were walking around and say, oh, she's hot. Whoa, she's only got seven coins. No, thank you. Right. You know, if you lost a coin, you'd be like, oh, I got to find that coin. Others said, you know, maybe it was. It was the idea that, that it was silver. It was valuable, that she had lost something valuable. It says, even if she has 10, she's going to sweep her whole house to find that one. And when she finds it, she's going to call everybody, hey, uh, hey, girlfriend, it's all good. You know, I found my coin, right? It'd be like, when people lose something, they, they let everybody else know. My mother-in-law is famous for losing her wallet. You know, she loses it. And then it's all like the text comes through the family. Hey, is it, is it at your house? Is it at your house? I've, I've lost my wallet. And it, it's just a wallet, but it becomes super important in that moment. Aha, I've lost my wallet. Well, the last time, they're like, no. Nobody had it. And then she's like, I think the last time I had it was at the Ford Museum in Michigan. Hello, Ford Museum. Yes, Mrs. DeVries, we have your wallet here. You can pick it up next time you're down, right? So make a special trip for that. But when she found it, there comes a text. Ah, celebration, rejoice with me. I found my wallet. No, not quite. But that, that same thought, when something is lost and then it's found, it matters. And Jesus is saying, hey, we think about stuff like a, a sheep, a little lamb, or a coin, things that, things that have value but he says, there's, there's something with even more value than that. And he says this story to them, the one that's super famous, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. If you've been to Sunday school or maybe even not, you've probably heard this story. And so Jesus says this to illustrate the point further. Here they are, all these religious people thinking, yeah, I guess I would go look for that sheep. And yeah, I guess I would go look for that coin. But Jesus, how does that relate to these people? He says this. He tells them this story. He says, a man had two sons. We kind of lean in and he says, the younger son, the younger son told his dad, hey, dad, I want my share of your estate now before you die. He's like basically saying, dad, I, I just wish you were dead so that I could have my money now. I just want my inheritance now. And the dad, you know, as they're listening, like, wow, that's crazy. That never happens. The, he's like, that son probably gets, gets stoned with, with rocks in the next uh, thing, right? He says, they're going to stone him. And, and, and they're thinking, but he says, Jesus tells him a story. He's like, but uh, the father, he agrees. And all of them are like, what? He agrees. He's like, yeah. He says, uh, he gives the inheritance to both his sons. Both of them get their inheritance. It says in verse 13, a few days later, the younger son packs up all his belongings and he moves to a distant land and he wasted it all on wild living. And they would be thinking, huh, that's, uh, that's interesting. The older, son, the older brother later lets us in on what the wild living was, and it involved prostitutes and gambling and everything else. He says, wild living, wasted it all. They're listening because they haven't heard a story like this before. Then he says, about that time, you know, about the time his money ran out, 
a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. You can almost hear the religious people chuckling a little bit. Like, <laughs> serves him right, you know. Here he's like, disrespects his dad, takes his dad's money that he, his dad worked so hard for, spends it all, wastes it all, and then when it's all gone and he needs something, all of a sudden then there's famine. It's like he's getting kicked when he's down. It says about that time, he persuaded a, a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him out in the field to feed the pigs. Like, this is even better. Like, that's the lowest possible, uncleanest job that this guy could have. Serves him right. It says then, verse 16, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. You know what? I'm going to go home to my father, and I'm, I'm going to tell him, Father, I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son, so please take me on as your hired servant. He comes up with this speech. He says, is this what I'm going to do? And so he does. He gets up and he goes home. And they're listening and they're thinking, you know, if, if that was my son and my son had just wasted all of my hard-earned money and now he's going to come home, oh, man, this is, this is going to be epic. Like, they're thinking, There's gonna, this is like a blood and gut story, Jesus. And they're just waiting. What's he going to say? What's he going to say? So they listen as the father is, um, or as the son decides, I'm going to go home, and he, and he does. And so in verse 20, he says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, you hear Jesus tell him, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father saw him coming. And they could see like, yeah, he's probably just like waiting, just waiting. If that kid ever comes back here, so help me. He says, then it says this, filled with, and then he uses a word that none of them expect him to use. Filled with love and compassion. They're like, what? He should be filled with anger. He should be filled with, like, at least being ashamed that this was his son. This is not, these are not the words that this father should be feeling. Filled with love and compassion. And then Jesus goes, says, you know what? He ran to his son. He didn't even wait for him to get there. He ran to him. Then he embraced him. They're like, what? Oh, then the, 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 the dad's going to be unclean. And he says, you know what? He embraced him, smelly and all. And he says, and then he kissed him. Came as close to him as he possibly could. And then his son's like, dad, stop hugging me. I got a speech. You know, father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. His dad's like, I know that's what you think, but stop talking. He's like, he's like, listen, he says, my son is home. And he tells all the other workers and we, you know, you know the rest of the story. He's like, Get, get, him a, get him new clothes. Get the family ring. Put it on. Help, let him know he's still part of the family. Get shoes for this kid. Like, and let's, let's go kill the fatted calf. And we're having a party. And, and it's this amazing thing. He says, my son was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And there was this huge celebration. We know later on the older brother's like, he's, he's upset. He's like, you, dad, come on. You never even gave me a billy goat for a barbecue. And here you're like, you're, you're sacrificing the fatted calf for him? You know what he did, right, dad? prostitutes, dad, you know. And it's like, listen. And he says to his older son, I want you to see your brother like I see your brother. I want you to see him the way that I see him. And that's what Jesus is saying to the, to the Jesus followers. He's saying to the people there that day, he's like, I want you to have the heart that the father has. I want you to realize this is, this is the way that, that God sees people. You guys might see people and you look, at the, you look at the sins that you don't have, but others have. You know, you might smoke 10 packs a day, but you like look down at the person who drinks. 
You know, or you, you look at the person who's like, you know, the, they've got like a, a smoking problem, but you are an internet spender like crazy and you're wasting all your money, right? Or, or you look down at people that, that are, you know, same-sex attracted or, or whatever the political view might be. And we, he says, you know what? He says, you look at people and you want to judge them based on stuff that you see. But here's what, here's what he says. You know what I see? I only see two kinds of people. I see people who are connected to their Heavenly Father, and I see people who are not connected to their Heavenly Father. That's it. That's it. And why I've come is to connect people to their Heavenly Father, to help them realize that they have a Heavenly Father who's good, who loves them, who can be trusted, and who desires relationship with them. And he revealed that heart of the Father. And he says, you know, that's the same for us as a church, that we would have the heart of the Father for the thems around us. The people that we so easily want to look at and say, you know, oh, this is what I think. He's like, listen, he's like the dad was sitting there waiting for him, looking for him. It says, and when he saw him coming, he says he ran to him. You know, he didn't just wait for them, them to come to him. He went looking for them. And it says, then he embraced him. It, it was like, we, we love you just the way you are. We're not going to leave you like that, but we love you where you're at. And even though you don't have your life together, we love you. This is, and he kissed him. He came as close as possible to them. You know, back in the day, uh, just as we close, a number of years ago, I worked for a vitamin company, and uh, I was one of the customer service reps there. And uh, they would, people would call in, the clients would call in all the time. There's this one guy named Steve who would call in all the time. And so as customer service reps, we'd be like, look, and be like, uh, yeah, hold on, uh, can I put you through? to so-and-so and we'd pass Steve off to different people around the office and even my boss would be one of the ones who would take the phone calls from Steve well Steve would tell us everything and, and then my boss he was a believer and so he said hey you know what Steve calls way too much we're gonna he says but you know if Steve calls talk to him about the business stuff but he wants to talk about life why don't we talk to him about God and we're like okay so we began talking to him about God hey you know Steve what do you think of God he's like uh sorry I gotta go and he'd hang up you know he's like you know, other times, every time we call, we talk about business stuff and be like, hey, yeah, hey, Steve, have you anything more about, like, what, what's, what's, your, what's your thoughts on who God is? Or, hey, do you believe in Jesus? And be like, oh, you know, and it would kind of always hang up the phone. Well, one day Steve calls and he, it's my boss's turn to answer the phone for Steve. And so he takes the phone call and we're listening. We're seeing, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? And all of a sudden it gets really quiet in that room. And uh, my boss, who talks a lot, wasn't talking at all. He's just listening. We're like, oh. And then the door closes. I'm like, oh, man. You know, we're just, we're just like waiting. Half an hour later, the door opens. And out comes my boss. And he says, you know, he says, uh, we're like, so, so what was that all about? He says, yeah, Steve, uh, that was Steve. We're like, yeah, yeah, we know. He, he says, uh, his wife just left him and took their three young children with her. And he's just crying on the phone. And who does he call? The vitamin company. <laughs> and you know why he called the vitamin company? Because he thought maybe they would be the ones who could offer him some help. Not with vitamins, but they were the ones who were talking to him about God all the time. He's like, he's like, I don't understand this God thing. He's like, you talk about God all the time. He's like, where's God now? As the conversation went on, my boss was like, I, I, just, I was just listening for that moment, that opportunity that maybe God might be able to talk to him. And he says, at one point in the conversation, he just starts bawling his eyes out. And he says, I just miss my children. And my boss right away said, Steve, that's how God feels about you. He just misses you. It's not about you get your life together, get everything figured out. He just misses you. That was the thing that opened Steve's eyes that day, and he gave his life to the Lord over the phone. And then Steve started visiting the office, and it was a, a, very, a, very, 
a very different, different experience. But we got to watch a man who just had his eyes open to what God was really like. Do you know we have a whole world around us that wonders what God is really like? And they're looking to you, to me, to say, hey, can you tell me what God is really like? Do you realize that Jesus showed us and expected us to, to understand that God is our father, but he wants to be their father, that God is good all the time. No matter what's going on, you can trust that he's good, that whether it feels good or not, doesn't matter. His hand is there to carry and walk them through. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today and you're, you know, you're, not, a, you're not a Jesus follower. Maybe, maybe you kind of wonder what God thinks of you. Maybe you once were. Maybe you once were a Jesus follower, but you know, something happened. The church you went to, they, they did you wrong or they did your parents wrong. So you, so you, don't, you, don't, you don't deal with church people anymore. Maybe you're here this morning and, and uh, you know, it was, uh, it was bigger than that. You prayed prayers and God just didn't answer them. And now you're like, ah, I don't know if God's good. Like if he was, how could he let my mom pass away? Or how could he, how could he let my marriage fail? Or how could he let my kids do that? Maybe you had questions that people couldn't answer for you. And you're like, well, fine. If you can't tell me those answers, well, I don't, can't believe in God. Or maybe you're just now you find yourself empty and you're just hurt. You know, you're broken, ashamed, maybe alone. Maybe life just feels like it's a mess. You just feel kind of lost. Maybe that's you here this morning. Do you, do, you, do you realize that there's a God, a Father who's looking for you? He's just waiting for you to turn around and say, okay, God, <laughs> okay, I've tried running my life my own way. I just, I'm miserable. I, I don't like where I am. God, I, I'm turning to you. Do you realize that he's just waiting to run towards you? But it requires that one step on our part to say, okay, God, I'm turning back towards you. He's waiting for you. Would, would you come back to him today? If you've been away and you know who you are, would you come back to him today? It's as simple as saying a prayer like you did earlier with your eyes open. Okay, God, if you can, fi- if you can help, if you can fix me, help. God, here I am. Here I am. And as followers of Jesus today, I just want to encourage you with this thought, something that he's doing in my heart is that God didn't just want us to know his heart. He wants us to have his heart. That as a church, that we would come back to that place of having a heart for for lost people, for hurting people. You guys do a fantastic job of that. But sometimes we forget that all around us, there's people that are just so hurting. And they put on a brave face and they put on a smile, but just under the surface, there's... They're feeling lost. They're feeling hurt. They're not sure where to go. They wonder what God thinks of them. I met somebody this week. Just had the opportunity to share with them what God thinks. And then they text me. They're like, I just met them on the street. They're like, you have been an answer to prayer. Thank you for being God's miracle in my life this week. Because now I know that by the fact that he sent you to me, that he loves me and that he cares about me and that I know that I have a God who loves me. My prayer is that God would break our hearts for the things that break his, that we would have his heart for others. And I pray that you would join me in that, that we would be a church that not only has fun together and has great times together, but that we would help connect people with their heavenly father. Can we pray? Lord, I pray today that your word would sink deep into our hearts. Just want to say thank you that we can call you father, that you've brought us into this family. And we're thankful for that. and We're grateful for that. Lord, I pray that you help us have eyes open around us to see people the way you see them. Maybe they're in our families. Maybe they're around us. But to just have that boldness to share your love with them.
God, to let them know that you, uh, who you really are. Uh, Lord, we leave their response up to them and to you, but may we shine for you this week. May we see our world and give them the opportunity to see you through us. Thank you for this amazing church family. I pray you bless them for the blessing they are to me and to one another as uh, they go out in your name and for your glory. It is because of you that, uh, that we live and move and continue to, to serve. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In your name I pray, amen.